All right, if you will now, brothers and sisters, take out your Bibles with me. Let's turn to Mark chapter 11 today, and we'll be looking at verses 27 through 33. Mark 11, 27 through 33, that's our text today. I wonder if you have ever, like me, done anything ridiculous just so you could fit in, so that people would like you. Am I the only one? I have done many ridiculous things so that people would like me. I think back to the time when I was in school. In middle school, I wore pipe jeans that were about this big around in each leg and a choker necklace, big, huge silver things on them. In early high school, I went to the hair salon regularly to get the tips of my hair dyed blonde. This one, I mean, I I just feel ridiculous saying this. There was a time when I went to the tanning bed. Don't ask. I listened to music that I didn't even like. There were times when I spoke in ways that dishonored God and embarrassed my family. I am ashamed to say at times I made fun of people that were not considered cool or popular just so I would be. And all the while on the inside, I was constantly doubting myself and I didn't know who I was because I was trying to be what I thought everyone else wanted me to be. All because I cared deeply about what others thought of me. I wonder if you can relate to that. Today in our text, we are going to see something called the fear of man. And it's all about what I just talked about. And the, 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 the great struggle in life, one of the great struggles in life is that, that, that stuff that I just talked about, caring deeply about what others think of you, that does not just stop when you get out of school. And it does not just stop when you become an adult. It is a struggle that all of us have. We're going to see it in our text today, Mark chapter 11, 27 through 33. Follow along with me in your copy as I read aloud. This is God's word. Mark writes, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? And they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I want to look at this text in two sections. First, briefly, I want to look at Jesus' authority, the authority of Jesus here. And then we'll spend more time on our second point today, the fear of man as displayed by the Pharisees here. First, the authority of Jesus. The, the, The Pharisees come up to Jesus and ask, Who gave you the authority to do what you are doing? Now, what are they talking about? Well, it's been a week since we've studied this passage, but it was just a day earlier, if you remember, that Jesus cleared out the temple. 
He, he cleared out the money changers in the temple, those who were buying, those who were selling. He drove them out in anger. It must have been a big scene. It disrupted everything that was going on there. This is Passover week, as so many people are in Jerusalem for the Passover, coming to the temple to make sacrifices. What Jesus did there was a big deal. It would have been the talk of the town for days at least. No one had ever had the audacity to do what Jesus did the day before. So you can understand why the religious leaders then come up to Jesus and say, who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority to do something like that? Now, notice the genius of Jesus here first. The genius, the utter genius of Jesus. That he can stump the smartest men in the room easily with just a question. It's a very, very simple question. And he stumps the smartest men in the room. Verses 29 and 30. I'll ask you a question. You tell me the answer, and then I'll, I'll give you your, the answer to your question. The baptism of John. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came ministering, and as he came, he, he was baptizing people. You remember in the Jordan, it's the way the book of Mark begins. John says, or I mean, Jesus says, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it from heaven or was it from man? He stumps them with a very simple question. It silences them. You see, Jesus had all the authority to do what he did. And you, you might expect him to come back and just say right in the faces of these Pharisees, this is how I have the authority to do what I just did. This is my authority. But he doesn't even tell them. More on that here in just a bit. But even though he, he never gives them an answer, we know the answer. We know the answer to the, the Pharisees' question. How do you have the authority? Who gave you the authority to do these things? Jesus' authority is actually the highest authority there can be. His authority came from the one that that temple was built for. The one whose presence used to dwell in that very temple. The temple was a, a shadow. Hebrews tells us the temple was a shadow of the reality in heaven where God dwells. The dwelling place of God in heaven is the reality of which the temple on earth was but a shadow. Jesus had all the authority to do whatever he wanted to in that place and with that place. His authority came from God. But Jesus knows the truth is not going to satisfy these people. If he gave them the true answer, it would not satisfy them. Jesus knows what would have happened if he told them the answer to their question. They wouldn't have accepted it. They would have considered it blasphemy. In fact, we know from our study of Mark and from our, our following through the text that the religious leaders are already seeking a way to get rid of Jesus. Remember, this is Passion Week that we are in right here in the book of Mark. It's only going to be a few days later where Jesus is going to be crucified. Only, only a little bit of time now until he is arrested. This is the very last week of his life until his death and then resurrection. And so we're so close to that already. They are seeking whatever way they can find to get rid of this man. And pretty soon they will succeed. So Jesus has the authority to do what he did in the temple... His authority came from God. 
But he doesn't tell them. He doesn't need to tell them. And that transitions us into what I want to spend most of our time on today, which is the fear of man. The fear of man, as displayed here in the Pharisees. What do we mean when we say the fear of man? Well, what that means is, it's when we care more about what others think of us than what God thinks of us. When we care more about what others think of us than what God thinks of us. Perhaps even for most of our lives, we care more about what God thinks of us, but we still struggle with the fear of man, where we live for the approval of man instead of the approval of God. This can manifest itself in a number of ways. It doesn't always look the same. People who live under the fear of man look very different sometimes. For some, it is a consistent anxiety about what others think that can cause constant indecision and self-doubt. For others, it can be an intense focus on worldly success and appearance, perhaps even networking who you know. This kind of person also tends to be a workaholic. For others, others become overwhelmed by everything in their life. They are so busy because they can't say no to anyone. They can't disappoint them. Some manifest, this manifests itself in that they live a double life. For example, they, they play the part of the good Christian on Sunday, but they go along with the sin of their co-workers all week and never speak of their faith in their Savior in those settings. Others crave attention and admiration, and so they try to become known for being, let's say, the class clown or the wild partier, or they, they make fun of the weak and the vulnerable so that they will be seen as strong and powerful in contrast. Still others retreat inwardly. They retreat inwardly, paralyzed by the fear of being rejected. Now, we all struggle with these things. We all struggle at times with the fear of man. And so this is something that every single one of us in here can relate to. The question, though, is whose opinion matters more to you, the opinion of God or the opinion of others? Whose opinion matters more to you? Now, when I say that, understand it's really easy for you to sit there. It's really easy for me to respond to that. It's really easy for all of us to just say what we know we should say. You know, who do you care about more? Whose opinion do you care about more? It's real easy for all of us to say what we know is the answer that we should say. We, it, it's easy to say that. But let's look at our hearts this morning. Let's take a, an honest and hard look at our lives. Let's take a look at how we actually behave. Not, not the answer that we know we should give, but how do I actually behave? You can actually know the right answer in your head and not be acting in your life according to that right answer. So whose opinion do you care more about? Whose opinion matters more to you, the opinion of God or the opinion of others? Notice, we've pointed this out, notice Jesus is, Jesus is not feeling the need to defend himself here. Jesus doesn't feel the need to defend himself. It's wonderfully refreshing. And it, it's, it's a mark of the fact that he doesn't fear others. He doesn't live under this fear of man. He has no need to defend himself. He could have. He could have come out and, he, and said definitively, this is the authority that I have. This is where my authority comes from. But he doesn't even tell them. 
He doesn't even answer the question. He, he goes away without giving them the answer to the question that they sought. And it was because he did not fear man. Look ahead in your Bibles just a few verses down to Mark 12, verse 14. Mark 12, verse 14. There we see people coming to Jesus. It says trying to trap him in his talk, verse 13. And then in verse 14, Mark 12, 14, it says they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and that you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, they are saying this in an introduction to trap him, but that's true what they say of Jesus. They are not making a false claim here. It's true that he is not swayed by appearances. It is true that he does truly teach the way of God, and he does not care about everyone's opinion. He does not live under the fear of man, and here he does not feel the need to defend himself. He knows he has the authority to do what he did, Whether or not everyone else knows it is not his concern. Notice the the contentment that Jesus has in that. He knows he has the authority to do what he did. And whether or not everyone else knows that, it's not his concern. He knows. Friends, if you fear people more than you fear God, you will always feel the need to defend yourself. You will always feel the need to defend yourself. But if you fear God more than people, you don't have to. You don't have to. You're free not to because you are secure in who you are in Christ. Because you are content with the fact that what God thinks of you is all that really matters. Listen to Paul, who who, who was great at this. Paul was wonderful at this. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. There Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul was content in who he was in Christ. He was confident in who he was in Christ. And so what other people thought of him did not matter. It doesn't matter who judges me. He says, even if it's a human court, it does not matter. And then he goes on to say, in fact, at the end of the day, What really matters is not even what I think about myself. What matters is what God thinks of me. It is the Lord who judges us. It is before the Lord that each one of us stands or falls, not before the opinions of everyone else. George Whitfield is one of the most famous preachers in church history. In the 1700s, he came over from England and he began preaching in America in the the open fields, open air preaching. This was before microphones, before amplifications. Some of the crowds that he drew were upwards of 30,000 people. 30,000 outdoors. And he's preaching. And they're all coming to hear him because he's such a good preacher. And, And the stories go that the people in the very back could hear him clearly without amplification. That's how powerful of a voice He had, but it wasn't just physically powerful and powerful in volume. He was a powerful preacher. That's why so many people came to hear him over and over again. But as often happens, when someone gets popular, they begin to to attract opponents and people who seek to slander them. And people were seeking to do that in the press, in the public publications, the, the newspapers and whatnot. And so in in his two-volume biography of George Whitfield, Arnold Dallimore writes this. 
with his eye fixed on his accounting in heaven. He, Whitfield, he sought no justification of himself on earth. When urged by friends to reply to certain false accusations, lest he be lastingly stigmatized, he replied this, I am content to wait till the judgment day for the clearing up of my character. When I am dead, I desire no epitaph but this. Here lies G.W. What kind of man he was, the great day will discover. Isn't that beautiful? I don't need to defend myself in everyone's mind right now. The Lord knows who I am, and the Lord will bring that out on judgment day. And that's all that I care about. Friends, the fear of man will cripple you if you let it. The fear of man will cripple you. Look at verses 31 and 32, the Pharisees. In answer to Jesus' question about John the Baptist, they waffle back and forth and they say, if we say from heaven, then Jesus will say, why then did you not believe him? And then verse 32, but if we say from man, well, they're afraid of the people, for the, all the people held that John really was a prophet. You see, the Pharisees didn't care about the truth. They were only concerned with what other people thought of them. They don't care about the truth. It crippled them to where they couldn't even say what they actually believed. Notice that. They can't even say what they actually believed. They probably did not believe that John's baptism was from heaven. But they couldn't even say so. They couldn't even say it in answer to Jesus' question because they're so crippled by the fear of man. It's like a politician refusing to take a stance on anything because what if it alienates some voters? Jesus said to these same religious leaders in John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And by glory there, he means approval. How can you believe when you live for the approval of others? You can't believe when you live like that. You can't believe. Friends, Jesus has warned us that when we sign up to follow him, we sign up for persecutions. When we sign up to follow Jesus, we sign up for insults. We sign up for alienation. We sign up for disrespect. It's part of the package. There will always, always be those in the world who consider Christianity to be foolishness. And more than that, there will always be those who seek to put Christianity down and snuff it out. Why? Because the very message of Christianity convicts us of sin. And when you love and cherish your sin, you'll fight for it. Christianity and Jesus' message, the message of the gospel, says that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we must repent and be saved from the coming wrath of God. That is an offensive message to the world. And we have to receive that offense and give into it if we want to become a Christian. And so for those who cherish their sin, they will fight for it. Jesus has warned us. He's told us up front that we must expect persecution. So if you want to follow Christ, you have to accept that you will not be liked by everyone. This is part of it. If you want to be a Christian, you have to accept you will not be liked by everyone. Paul tells us as far as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with everyone. But that's as far as it depends on us. When you follow Christ, you will not be liked by everyone. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This really puts it in, in, in really terms that, 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 it, that just gets right to the heart of the issue. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's it right there. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, the fear of man will cripple you. If you live for the approval of others, if you care more about what others think of you than God thinks, it will cripple you. You won't be able to stand up for what you believe. Pharisees couldn't even do it. You won't be able to have peace when others criticize you if you live under the fear of man. Do you remember Peter following Jesus into the courtyard of the temple the night Jesus was arrested? being asked three times, are you with him? Aren't you one of them? And Peter says three times, no. He denied it. I don't even know the man. Why? Fear of man. Later in Peter's life, Galatians chapter 2, Paul says he and Peter are in the same place. Peter's eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles. Peter knows that Gentiles are fully welcome in the church. If you read the book of Acts, Peter's one of the primary tools that God uses to welcome Gentiles into the church. Peter's eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles, and along comes this, this party, this group of really important Jews. And when they come, Peter backs away. Peter won't be seen sitting with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul confronts him on it and says, your behavior is not in step with the gospel. Why did Peter back away? Fear of man. Fear of man. If you live under the fear of man, it will be difficult for you to tell the truth. There will be times where it will be difficult for you to tell the truth because you're worried about other people's feelings. You're worried about what they will think of you. It will be difficult if you live under the fear of man to say no to people. It'll be really difficult for you to say no to people, even when you should. I want to to read you a story from a book that I'm going to recommend to you. This book, many of you I know can't see this, but some of you can. This book is called When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. He's a Christian counselor. It's an excellent book. I would highly recommend it. When People Are Big and God is Small. It's all about what we're talking about today, the fear of man. And Ed Welch tells a story from his counseling days in this book. I'm going to read it to you. It's brief. Sarah was a three-sport star at one of the best colleges in the country. Not only that, but she was the sophomore captain of all three teams. She had just been named co-winner of the college's Best Female Athlete Award. You would think that with such ability and recognition, she was feeling pretty good about herself. But she was already worried about next year. The expectations of others were going to be even greater. How could she top what she had already accomplished? A good friend said of her, she said she wanted to be the best girlfriend, the best athlete, and the best student. Sarah wanted to quit one of her sports to alleviate some of the overwhelming stress in her life, but she was afraid to disappoint her teammates. Saying no to any friend was out of, a quest, out of the question. One person observed of her, she wanted to please everybody and couldn't stop. Sarah could think of only one way out. She took a 22 caliber rifle and shot herself in the chest. People had become her idol. She could not say no to anyone. She lived under the fear of man. The fear of man will cripple you. The fear of man could even kill you. If you live for the approval of others, it will be difficult for you to confront anyone. It will be difficult for you to confess sin. It will be difficult for you to forgive sin. It will be difficult for you to ask for help. 
The fear of man will cripple you. But let me give you one more. If you live under the fear of man, you won't be able to let anyone else get close to you. You won't be able to let people get close to you. What happened when Adam and Eve first sinned? What did they do? They immediately covered themselves. They realized they were naked. What will the other person think of me now? And they covered themselves. And when God came down, they hid. And when God confronted them, they blame shifted. When we fear man, we hide from others. We build up walls so that no one can get close enough to see us for who we really are. We put on masks. We keep everything surface level. This is one reason why social media is so popular today. Social media is a a vicious circle feeding the fear of man. But on social media, you can have a bunch of friends who only see what you want them to see. They only see the best parts of you. You can have a curated life with no problems and no vulnerabilities, nothing to be ashamed of. And yet we forget when we look at others on there, that's all that we see of them. The social media just feeds this fear of man, that we live for what others think about us. Friends, the solution to the fear of man, the only solution to the slavery of the fear of man, is the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of God. The fear of God is the only solution to the fear of man. The only way to become free from being enslaved to living for what others think of you. The fear of God is not a cowering or crippling fear. We know that because of places in the Bible like Isaiah 11.3, which tells us that it was Jesus' delight to fear the Lord. It was Jesus' delight to fear the Lord. Or Nehemiah 1.11 tells us that all of God's servants delight to fear his name. I remember one time a non-Christian told me that it was ridiculous that you you serve a God who asks you and demands of you that you fear him. That's ridiculous, that your God demands that you fear him. And the only response I could give was, we love it. Like, it it is our delight to fear him. Like, I know that doesn't make any sense to someone who's not in it. But if you are, if you know what that means, if you know, you know. It is our delight to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord that is spoken of in the scriptures is a holy awe and a reverence for who he is. A desire to be right with him because we do fear what he will do to his enemies. We want to be on his side. But it's also a love for him as our father. A love for him as our our father. Friends, one of the great truths in scripture about God is that God sees everything. We, we read that over and over again in scripture. God sees everything. But on the flip side, other people do not. Right? God sees everything. Other people do not. Specifically, God sees everything about you. And other people do not. God sees everything. Listen to, to what Hebrews 4 verse 13 says. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked. And you get the, the, the hint back toward the Garden of Eden there. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees everything. He sees everything about you. But ironically, we are often more concerned with what others see 
than what God sees, even though God sees everything and others don't. We are ironically often more concerned with what others see than what God sees. Part of learning to know God is learning to renew your mind, right? Paul says this in Romans 12, that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And one of the ways that you renew your mind is you learn to think in reality versus the way that you perceive reality without God. And so it's easy without God to look at what's in front of our faces and to say, this is reality, right? This is reality. What's in front of me? These people, this situation today, right? But, but slowly over time as a Christian, the Holy Spirit teaches us to not live for what's right in front of us, but to, to live for things that are unseen, to live for the future, and to understand that the, the person we should worry more about and think more about what, what they think of us is God and not people. God sees everything about you, but never forget this, friends, never forget this. God sees exactly who you are, warts and all. He sees exactly who you are. God sees the depths of your sin. God knows the things that you are most embarrassed about, that you would never tell even those closest to you. God sees everything about you, and he loves you anyway. God sees everything about us, and he loves you anyway. And if you are in Christ, when God sees you, he sees you as clothed in the blood of Christ. Clothed in the blood of Christ. That's how God sees you if you are in Christ this morning. If you are in Christ this morning. But friend, if if you have never put on Christ as your Savior, if you have never come to him to let him wash away your sins, you can do that today. You can do that anytime. You can do it today. You can have an identity that the world cannot touch. You can have the love and the fatherhood of the God of the universe. You can have eternity with him waiting for you after death. And when the maker of heaven and earth loves you and approves of you, and when you know who you are in Christ, you have in that the only true solution to the fear of man. The only thing that can set you free from the fear of man is having a secure identity in Christ and being secure in the love of God, knowing that your sins have been washed away because Jesus paid for them full and free on the cross. That is the only solution to the fear of man. Many of you know this because many of you have tried to get free from the fear of man in so many other ways, and it doesn't work. We tried. We tried all kinds of things, and it doesn't work. We're still crippled by the fear of man until we come to Christ. Now hear this, though. When you come to Jesus... And when you give him your life and when he forgives you of your sins and you're secure in Christ, unfortunately, the fear of man doesn't go away completely. We still struggle with it. If you're not a Christian today and you look at us Christians and think maybe they have it all together, we don't. We still struggle with the fear of man. All of us Christians need to hear this today. All of us. We still struggle with it. But what we have is an anchor. Hebrews says we have a a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul that is always there to bring us back when the fear of man pulls at us. It's, It's still there 
but we are slowly learning to be free of it. We are objectively free of it. We are objectively free of it, and we're slowly learning to live free of it, and we have that anchor that pulls us back every time the fear of man rears its ugly head. It's the anchor of being secure in Christ, being secure in his love, being secure in the favor of the God of the universe. Why? Because my sins against him have really and actually, truly been forgiven and wiped clean because Jesus already paid for them. He suffered for them by his blood, and now I am clothed in that blood as a protective robe from the wrath of God. That's what it means to be in Christ, and that is the only solution to the fear of man. And so, that's where I leave you today. Are you free of the fear of man? Are you struggling with the fear of man? Right now, we're going to take a few moments to pray, and this is an especially good time to pour your heart out to the Lord. In what ways have you been struggling with this? And in what ways do you need God to set you free of the fear of man? And so we're going to pray for a few moments. We ask everyone to to bow their heads during this time and to, to go to the Lord and pour your heart out to him. And after we pray for a few moments, we'll come back together and we'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.